Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of These Present Days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the days that we're living in, that you selected for us to be born for such a time as this. And who are we to argue or debate? We are to embrace and accept our assignment. I thank you, Father, for preparing us, equipping us, leading and guiding us, informing us, and making deposits all along the way as you walk with us in the midst of the quagmire of what was once a modern society years ago. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, the other day, I was doing a session with some people, and one of the people a wonderful man of God, he asked me, when, when do we start taking up arms or when do we start fighting, whether it be physical or whether it be spiritual, when do we fight? What's the right time to do that? And it's like, okay, I answered the question the best that I could and mainly emphasized our spiritual warfare side of things. But it's a real tricky um, thing. It's a slippery slope, you know, just to know, am I on time? I mean, you've heard people rattle off, like, being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing the right way with the right people. You're going to get a bingo. You're going to get results. But not necessarily all of those things need to line up, but we need to have a sense of time and a sense of timing, but not being constrained or conformed to it. Um, we should live our lives outside of the time conundrum, excuse me. We should live outside of that because of the things that are going on here under the guise of the solar system and man scheduling things and calendars being set and things that are coming in this much time or that much time or have to wait a little longer for this. We do not want to be subjugated to any of that. We just need to have a sense of being in an eternal, timeless zone, yet having to move amongst people that are operating very, very close to the times and the seasons that are a natural byproduct of this planet and this solar system here. And so at the same time, we want to always be on time because we were born for such a time as this. We came on the scene in, and we're still here and we're inside of some things being fulfilled that are reserved for the last days and the end times. So we're asking the question, when is it the time? When is it the right time? What time is it? You know, whether we should run or stand and fight <laughs> or speak up or keep silent, walk away, um, or like Kenny Rogers in his song, you know, you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away and when to run. And we need that kind of, a, in a supernatural way, that kind of timing because timing is a little bit different than time. Time is like segments of predetermined links of 
what we measure days, weeks, and years, and so forth, millennials. And so Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm just going to go rapid fire and just read a little bit of that. It says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot. Now, I want to remind you, these are natural times in a natural solar system. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. I see the essence of what he's saying, that there's a timing for all of this stuff, a timing. You ever been at the right place at the right time? Ever been at the wrong place at the right time? It still doesn't work out. Or how about if you've been at the right place at the wrong time? You're there at the right place, but you're too early or you're too late. Everybody left, everybody went home. A time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, like six feet apart and all masked up. Ooh, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. You see, for the most part, we humans tend to stick around too long or walk away before we should. Have you noticed that? Over the years, just kind of like keep score a little bit. I mean, if you've repented and been forgiven, of course you want to put that in the rearview mirror and keep it back there, but we need to not repeat it. And what do they say about forgetting history? You're destined to repeat it. You take the lesson, but you don't keep kicking yourself or letting yourself get kicked. And so there is a nuance, there is an agility to being able to be sensitive of the times. Right now we're in perilous times. The Bible says that in the book of 2 Timothy. We're in perilous times. The word perilous translated in the Greek means stress-filled or strenuous times. Mm. As we see our human instinct trying to kick in and, and knee-jerk, react to something, or sit tight and hold your form until it blows over and it doesn't, you just think about all the rules that we've set up, whether official or something is passed down to us by people older and smarter than us. In an attempt to capture that perfect timing in a bottle, how long have we to work in a stable job until we can retire? How old do we have to be in order for the government to start supporting us? How long are we supposed to, or supposedly, um, do we have before we get married and have kids and travel the world and start making a profit on our new business report or crime or crime? Um, how long should we work on our education? How much time do we give ourselves to get rich or to stop chasing that dream that isn't happening, maybe? Or how much time do we need to grow up, become a serious adult? When it comes to taking action on things we can learn a lot from, reading about Jesus' moves when he was in full ministry mode such as times when they didn't like what he was saying. Instead of sticking around too long, he walked out of the midst of them before they threw him over a cliff. 
That's a true story. When he preached his first sermon in Nazareth, and he said some things that these scriptures right here are talking about me. And then the religious zealots and leaders and legalists in the room, they all, what, what, what? He's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophet. What? And so they pushed him all the way to the edge of a hill, and he walked right through the middle of them. And another time they tried to take him and make him king. Another time they tried to take him and just hold him. Another time, a time that they attacked him and were going to kill him. And he and his disciples, they walked about 20 miles, 18 to 20 miles away, which is a one-day journey. And they stayed outside of Jerusalem. They went to Bethabara, where John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River, including Jesus in the earliest stage of his ministry. And they went there. And then the next day, after they got there, a guy knocks at the door. It's a messenger from Lazarus and Mary who lived right back where he came from. He just, he just like less than one mile outside of Jerusalem where the Jews were going to stone him or try to kill him. And this guy said that I'm sent by the sisters to tell you that Lazarus, whom you love, is sick and dying. In other words, come, it's urgent, come. And I'm sure Jesus thanked him for the message and stayed two more days. What? He stayed two more days. And then his disciples asked him on the third day when he said, hey, let's go visit Lazarus. We need to go see Lazarus. And he said, don't you remember that they wanted to kill you back there? And he said, when you walk in the light, you're not going to stumble. If you walk when it's dark, you're going to stumble. Out of nowhere, he gives them a little lesson on light and dark. And what he's trying to say is that he's being led from inside by a light that's shining on his pathway. And he's not going to stumble. He's not going to walk into a trap. And so you do the calculations. They walked away from where they wanted to kill him. It took a day. The messenger was there the next day. That's two days. They stayed two days, and now they're going to go back. Well, they had a rule, not, not a spoken rule, but the Pharisees, um, when they believed a person died, the soul would migrate only after the third day. The soul would still be in a swoon position in the person's dead body, even though they didn't have vital signs, up until three days. And so the fourth day, there was nobody there waiting for Jesus to return. See how the devil set a trap and the meat in the trap the bait was Lazarus, whom he loved. But he stayed. When he come back there, his, he's met you know, at the site of the tomb by the girls, well, one, one before the other, Mary and Martha. And the first one to meet him and greet him and start talking to him said, you should have been here. In other words, he's out of time. It's too late. And then he said, that she said that, that uh, Lazarus wouldn't have died if you were here, or you could have helped him if you were here. And he said, um, I am the life. I am not late. Wherever I go, I bring life with me. And so she just kind of, you know, scoffed at that a little bit because of her emotional upheaval, because she just lost her brother and and she's blame-shifting it over to Jesus because he didn't come in time. 
And then the other sister came, and he said the same thing, basically, that I am the life and the resurrection. Though a person dies, he will live. And so then he performed the resurrection. And hindsight being 2020, it looks to everybody after the fact, this guy has perfect timing. And that's an important thing. Because more than just understanding the time, which we need to understand the time, Jesus chided the people and said, you know how to read the sky, read the weather conditions, and you make a big thing about predicting the rain, predicting a storm or a drought. How is it that you can't predict the time of your visitation? In other words, he's talking about his presence there. How is it that you can't see that? In other words, you've emphasized the natural timekeeping mechanisms, natural timing of things, but the spiritual timing of things is dormant because you search the scriptures for you believe that in them you'll find life, but they are that which speaks of me. And I'm standing right here in front of you and you missed the timing of your visitation. Ooh. Ouch. Wow. We're living in a, a time right now, after a couple of years of a pandemic and a collapse of the economy and, and masking up and pushing and shoving for vaccinations, and, and then now um, people have been tired of it. Uh, God told me before the beginning of this year, 2022, in December 2021, that the pandemic is going to be over in the first quarter. And it would be officially over. In other words, you're going to be changing and taking and walking back the things that they had done before. Mandates this, mandate that, instant firing if you don't comply, all that kind of stuff. And the first quarter is, is up in about, you know, five to seven days from now. Hmm. And it's pretty much wrapped up. People are not in the hospital. I have, I have friends that work in the hospital, and they've told me this is the first time in two years they haven't had a single COVID patient in the hospital. And so the times are shifting. The timing of things is different. And so things shift over to another area too. Um, it's funny how people, they're paying attention to the liars and listening to the lies that they're spewing because they are all about power, all about money and greed. We know that because we know that that is the root of all evil and they're doing and perpetrating a lot of evil. We know that this thing was determined because right now there's people trying, they're kind of leftover. They're kind of, it's kind of fun to watch it because they come and they start saying, well, you know, there's another variant. And people aren't even hearing it anymore. They're tired. They're tired. Time's up. Time's up. People are, you see, before when it was new and you fear mongered them and you push them into a corner, you got to do this. We got to shut this down. And they bring an expert, quote unquote, up in front of their faces. And he starts spewing out all this bad stuff that's going to happen. And you look for this to happen and you look for that to happen and you can't get around anybody. And it's only done as much damage as the regular yearly annual flu but you were stirred in such a frenzy, masking up. Have you masked up and stayed six feet apart in the regular flu season every year? Nah. But it was designed 
It was manufactured. We know that now. You better know that now. And there's an agenda behind it, an agenda of a reset, of a new world order that's been spoken of over and over again. And, of course, we know this as being biblical fulfillment of these times. I want you to listen to what I'm going to read right now. I'm going to take you to that second Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that we can hear some of the things that we're now in the middle of. I'm going to read from the Amplified Translation, interesting as, as it may sound. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days it will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self. When do we hear about being lovers of self? Taking pictures of yourself all the time, no matter where you are in town. I mean, you're not in the Grand Canyon or up in Yosemite or halfway across the world in Taiwan and taking selfies there only like we used to do when we're on vacation or we're visiting other places in the world and seeing the wonders of the world. You could be across the street having a banana smoothie and you need to tell everybody what you're doing and show everybody what you're doing, taking selfies. Hmm. Lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money. This is the Amplified Translation, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, uh, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, religion, and religious rituals. Although they have all of this, they deny its power for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. It says, avoid such people and keep far away from them. For among them are those who worm their way into homes and captive or captivate morally weak and spiritually dwarfed women weighted down by their burdens of their sins, easily swayed by various impulses, always learning and listening to anybody who will teach them, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he says this, just as Janus and Jambres, Janus and Jambres, these are two Egyptian sorcerers in the court of Pharaoh in the days of Moses. The court magicians of Egypt opposed Moses. So these men, these men that are leading people captive, these men that are demonic meat puppets that have been taken over by spiritual forces, these men also opposed the truth men of dwarfed mind, unqualified and worthless as teachers in regard to the faith. But they will not get very far, for their meaningless nonsense and ignorance will become obvious to everyone, as was that of Janus and Jambres. 
Well, he mentions them again. Who are those two guys? Well, when Moses threw down his staff to demonstrate to Pharaoh that God was with him, and the staff turns into a serpent, well, then he called Janus and Jambres over, and Janus and Jambres threw down their staffs for Pharaoh, and they turned into snakes, and that was just to say, so what? Big some kind of deal, Mo. And what happened? Mo's snake ate those two snakes, and that was to say to Pharaoh, uh, so that's what's up. Um, in other words, it's my time now. I'm going to get these people out of here now. And so remember when we started in this chapter, it said, but understand this and in that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will, that will be hard to bear. Hello, people. These are the end times. We're living in days that have been difficult to bear, and it's not going back. We're not going to have the gravy train anymore. We're not going back to life as usual anymore. We're not going back to all of that opulence and wealth and, you know, so much waste and excess and so little care about fellow man or even about the planet. We're not going to go back to those times. Nope. They're over. And... We're here now, and we better learn to make the most of it. To make the most of what? To make the most of why we were born for such a time as this. You see, we need to, we need to come to a place to where we're not affected by all the things we just read. We know that we are in the midst of this. I'm trying not to freak you. I'm not trying to overload you with too much negative information that was predicted about these times and how they're going to look and what we're going to go through and, and how accurate the reporting of the, of the scriptures are written thousands of years ago. It's amazing. We've got to get to a place to where this doesn't bother us. Because Jesus himself, he warned us. He warned us about this time. He warned us about the trouble that was going to come. He warned us, and he was warned. He was talking to live people. He was talking to his disciples, and his disciples, you know, sometimes they asked him, "Is this just for us, or is this for other people too?" And Jesus did say it was for them, but also it was for others. It was everyone that was going to believe on him. And so Jesus knows how it's all going down. All this instability is nerve-wracking, but Jesus is in the midst with us. Just look for his fingerprints on stuff. In John 16, 33, in the Mirror Translation, please listen, I'm going to read this to you from the Mirror Translation. I have spoken these things to you, that in me you will know the sweet and assured resonance of my peace. In the world, you will encounter extreme and stressful times, but be of good courage. I have conquered the world order. I have conquered the world order, he says. Wow. And so we're not going to be necessarily delivered from it. We are going to be delivered in the midst of it, in the midst of what he's predicted, what he's prophesied. Revelation 3.10, I'm going to read to you. It says it this way, 
you have greatly valued the prophetic word which came to fulfillment in what I endured. This is Jesus through the Apostle John that's uh, stranded on the Isle of Patmos. Jesus sent a messenger, you know, um, or excuse me, a sent a message. Jesus himself was speaking with John and talking to, to him about writing this down for the church at Philadelphia. This is the church at Philadelphia in chapter 3. The church of Philadelphia actually represents the United States of America. There's seven churches in the seven provinces of Asia Minor that got these letters. And each one was different than the other. Each one tolerated certain things that had to be corrected and rebuked for and majored in other things that they were commended for. And it gives you a cross-section of the whole body of Christ that you could find some of this that applies to in every age in the last 2,000 years that the body of Christ has been upon the earth. That's how universal these letters to the seven churches are. So once again, let me say, take it from the top. Verse 10. You have greatly valued the prophetic word. I'm in verse 10. In chapter 3, verse 10. You have greatly valued the prophetic word which came to fulfillment in what I endured. I will also guard you with great care, empowering you to stand strong in the midst of in the midst, I'm emphasizing that, in the midst of troubled times that are about to come upon the inhabited world to test the dwellers of the earth. And once again, he said, I will also guard you with great care, empowering you to stand strong in the midst of. He didn't say anything about, I'm going to get you out of there. I'm going to air vacuum away and sweep you into heaven in something called the rapture of the church. He said, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there with you because I know how to go through suffering. I've been through suffering. And so he says in verse 10 again, the very beginning, you have greatly valued the prophetic word, which came to fulfillment. In other words, because you endured, because of the prophetic word that instructed you to endure the times of suffering, In what I endured, I will also guard you with great care, empowering you to stand strong in the midst of troubles, times that are about to come upon the inhabited world to test the dwellers of the earth. See, not keeping them from temptation or testing, but a keeping in the temptation or test as the result of which they shall be delivered out of its power, out of the power of it. In other words, he's empowering them to make it through or to be able to handle it. See, Jesus warned us and gave us courage. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, pandemics, plagues, upheaval of society, hatred and persecution, loss of health, loss of families, loss of money, of wealth, even loss of life, and the result of despairing and hopelessness. Jesus knows how it's all supposed to go down. All this instability is nerve-wracking, we know. But Jesus is in the midst with us. 
just looking, just looking for his fingerprints on anything and everything is the key to understanding him winking and nodding. You know what that is in the Bible? God, it talks about God winking and nodding at times. In other words, you have such a relationship with him that he'll give you a little wink. He'll give you a little nod. For instance, when I'm going through things, God gives me a wink. <laughs> and the one that he gives me time and time again is the numbers, 1006, 1006, 1006, 1006. Because years and years and years and years and years ago, I was living in a place that had the address 1006 Evergreen Drive, Antonitas, California, 92024. It was there that I was still not surrendered to the call of God in my life, but I had enough pressure from my family that we started having Bible studies, and I let my cousin, who we all grew up together in the church, my cousin, my oldest cousin, and his two younger brothers, and I let them go ahead and take the lead, and I had the house, and we had the people come in. One night, he took me outside and he said, you see this house you're living in? And we both had prophetic um, inclinations. Even at that time when we weren't even officially, quote unquote, uh, in ministry. He said, look at the top of your house. He said, God showed me a demon that's been assigned to you to destroy your house and to stop you from fulfilling what God has called and gifted you to do. He says, you got to step up. Now's the time. Right there in front of him, I made the decision. I'm done playing. I'm done running. I'm done waiting. It's time. That was over 46 years ago. And so he no longer taught the Bible studies. He no longer led the group in ministering. And I took over and I started ministering. And I've seen the results of that attack that wasn't pronounced over me by my cousin. It was identified as being over me prophetically by my cousin. And he said something interesting to me. He said, you can't get rid of it. You can't, you can't make it go away. And I was upset at that because I didn't really trust or believe that. And I was going to rebuke the hell out of that. But I've noticed over 46 years, the reoccurrence of that is only serving now that I got the right perspective on that. It's only serving to remind me that there's nothing this side of hell the devil can do to stop me from fulfilling that. Because that was the day that I was warned, but that's also the day that I decided to do what I've been doing for 46 years, and that is teaching and preaching and moving in the Spirit for the sake of God and His kingdom. And I know exactly all of the different attacks are related back to that. And so I'm not saying that to spook you. I'm not saying that to, to tout me or to you know, proclaim, you know, that I am the greatest or whatever like that. That's why they had to assign such a special agent to me. No, no, we all have come under attack at one time or another, and we'll still be coming under attack either directly or indirectly because we're living at such a time as this of the, of the devil, of the evil one. 
because he knows his time is short, and so he's going to be a furious whirlwind in the way that he moves. So what do we do with all this? What we do is, if we haven't already started, we need to get on top of right now the understanding and the experiential knowledge of tracking and following the lead of the Holy Spirit who gives us the right timing on everything in life. He will position us where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. He will send us to other places and we'll have divine encounters and divine intersections and divine appointments when we're supposed to have them. He will tell us when to get out of harm's way, when we need to get out of harm's way, like he did with Jesus when he stayed two extra days. He is our light in a dark world. It doesn't matter how dark it gets, and it's going to get a whole lot darker. We have the illumination of the light on the inside of us that gives us the perfect timing every single day of the week as we just learn to, to follow him. And like what I said before, wink and nod with that. They're just euphemisms. They're just metaphors for God nudging you. God, you know, all of a sudden, something you sense something on the inside and you hesitate and you pull back instead of rushing forward or, or, or responding like a knee jerk. And it was him. That was him. You know, it's kind of like if you're with people, we've heard it over the years, or if you're starting to go off track a little bit, somebody might say something like, or not say something, they might make a noise like, <clears throat> or they might give you a look, or they might nod in approval. That's a nod. Or they might wink at you, and you know, uh, I better check what I'm about to say. <laughs> and things like this. So these are the days stressful as they might be, evil as they might be, um, with a lot of the worst traits of humanity escalating under all this pressure as they might be. Uh, no mites about it, right? Uh, in the midst of all of this darkness because of legislation that's being pushed and, and uh, some, that are, some legislation is being uh, protested, you know, such as, I'm just going to mention, because it's about these present days. In Florida, legislation that was passed and signed by the governor that forbids grooming children uh, in a sexual manner, indoctrinating them to sexual identif identification choices, which they shouldn't even be exposed to. Well, he shot it down. And then all of a sudden, they're protesting it. And one of the major corporations in this country that when I grew up, I was there the first year they opened their theme park, Disneyland. Disney is everywhere. Then is in, you know, um, Hong Kong. It's in Europe. It's in Florida. It's all over the place. Well, in Florida, they started protesting this as an anti-gay legislation. No, it's not an anti-gay. It's an anti-indoctrination of sexual orientation protest. But it's evil. And we're living in such a time as that. And so how do we handle this? How do we relate to people that don't know really what they're talking about and they start spewing it out that we should stand against this or sign a petition because it's infringing upon our freedom of this and freedom of that? Here's how you handle it. 
be led by the Holy Spirit. Simple as that. Don't do anything without the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's the spirit of truth. He's going to lead and guide us into all truth. In the middle of a pack of lives, of lies, I said lies, in the middle of a pack of lies, in the middle of, of gross darkness, the Bible says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Great darkness is going to settle upon the earth. Great darkness. I'm quoting from Isaiah 60. Uh, one, great darkness is coming upon the earth. It's coming, people. It's already here, and greater than that is coming. And so arise and shine because the glory of the Lord has risen from the inside of you and is resting upon you. His name is Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, lead us. Holy Spirit, guide us. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, keep us from the deceitful lies, clever and even convincing falsehoods of this world and the evil systems that are running amok. Before your return, all the way up to your return, Lord, help us every step of the way because we were born for such a time as this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in again. Love and appreciate all of y'all. And let the Holy Spirit lead and you follow close.